This is a podcast for Functional Ecology, a British Ecological Society publication. Hi everyone, we have a very exciting podcast episode for you today. We are discussing Functional Ecology's special focus on animal functional traits. This special focus was published in January 2023, and it is a collection of studies that shows how precise measurements of morphological or physiological traits can increase mechanistic understanding of community assembly across trophic levels, particularly of the mechanisms underpinning large-scale biodiversity patterns. The guest editors for this special focus were Matthias Schleuning, Daniel Garcia, and Joseph Tobias. So today we've only got Matthias. So Matthias is a functional ecologist with a broad interest in ecological research across trophic levels and spatial and temporal scales. He is particularly interested in interactions between plants and animals that he mostly studies in tropical ecosystems. Another emphasis of his research is the development of trait-based concepts that aim at a mechanistic understanding of plant-animal interactions in space and time. Quite the mouthful. Hello, Matthias, how are you? Good, hi, Frank, hi, everyone. Thanks for having me and thanks for the nice introduction. Fantastic. So let's jump right in. Um, perhaps you could tell us a bit about where you're from and about your research interests. Yeah, I'm, I'm a senior scientist working at uh, the Senckenberg Biodiversity and Climate Research Center in Frankfurt in Germany. And yeah, in my group, we, we study, like you mentioned, mostly biotic interactions between species across trophic levels. So I'm really passionate about plant-bird interactions and, and, and these interactions are very diverse and in tropical ecosystems. So one focus is to to look at these interactions in the tropics and the tropical Andes, for instance. We are also working in in tropical Africa and Mount Kilimanjaro. So that's that's kind of our main main areas for research. Wow, fantastic! So uh, can you tell us a little bit about your journey towards becoming an ecologist? Talk about maybe where you grew up and whether that played a role in your journey. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting question. So I, I think this passion for nature and wildlife I, I had very early on in, in childhood. So mostly I started as a bird watcher in a way, right? And trying to learn more and more about birds and all the diversity around. I also kind of was in the very um, good situation that I had the chance to travel a lot together with my parents to different places, also to 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 the tropics, for instance. And and yeah, I really learned about about nature being such a diverse thing to to encounter, to understand, and also to unravel this complexity. I mean, that's that's a bit kind of first is the passion, and then you really want to understand what all this is about, right? And that's that's I think how I got interested into this and why I thought, yeah, I really want to become a biologist. I want to study ecology and then learn about these these mechanisms and then processes that that structure biodiversity. Fantastic. And could you tell us what was your favorite bird to watch when you were little? Oh, when I was little, that's the, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in, in shorebirds and all types of waders. Kind of <laughs> one thing is kind of the challenge to identify all these species. And, 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 and then it's also fascinating that they have these really long, long journeys flying from, from their wintering grounds to the breeding grounds high in the Arctic. So that's something I really, I'm really interested in. And, and they also have, have all these different beak shapes, right? That, mm-hmm. that kind of distinguish them ecologically. And that's, that's maybe also something where, where traits and how we can use traits to understand roles and functions of species are, are kind of linked to, right? That that beak shape of birds, it's it's kind of 
it's an easy example, but it's also a very good example of, of how we can use properties of species to understand the roles of species in ecosystems. Amazing, thank you. Yeah, amazing that from a young age you were thinking of big ship and I'm just like, oh, good. <laughs> um, so perhaps it would only be fair um, because you are a plant-animal interaction person. Uh, if you talk about perhaps what your favourite animal is and what your favourite plant is and whether those two things cross over or maybe they don't cross over at all. Um, yeah, actually, when, when I started my PhD, I was very much a plant ecologist, so I studied um understory plants, heliconia species, and then the understory of tropical rainforests. And it was very much focused on, on a single trophic level, but then I also learned a lot about these interactions. I mean, I mentioned before, I'm a bird witcher, so I also realized all the bird life ongoing. And and kind of seeing the, the huge diversity of hummingbirds pollinating these flowers, that was really um, intriguing and fascinating to me. And and then again, these these matches matter, right? Of different flower shapes and then beak shapes of hummingbirds. So that's something I'm yeah I really love to study. And I actually started to to work on these interactions on plant hummingbird interactions later in my scientific life. But but the interest kind of started when I was still very much focused on on the plant side only. Um, and uh, I know you mentioned to, um, that you do some research in. Mount Kilimanjaro and like tropical ecosystems. Can you talk a little bit about that? Why are they why are they important places to perform studies? Uh, what can we learn from them? Yeah, I, I think I, I'm really interested in biodiversity and, and doing biodiversity research. So I think it makes a lot of sense to work at places that, that are particularly species rich and where we find such a huge diversity. It's also particularly challenging to 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 uncover the processes kind of structuring these these communities, kind of the forces that maintain such a high diversity in an ecosystem. And I I, I think I mean we are losing using a lot of um, these these trade-based approaches. So we also have a lot of diversity in these trades and tropical ecosystems. So when we for instance study um fruit eating bird species uh, along the tropical Andes, so we are working a lot in the Manu a national park along a huge elevational gradient, then you find a huge diversity in different um, types and, and shapes of fruit eating birds. And that's that's really, I think some people say, some ecologists probably say, wow, it's it's really difficult to work in the tropics. You have this huge diversity and you and it's difficult to find general principles. But I think for, if you use trade-based approaches, the tropics provides such this huge trade diversity you actually kind of need to, to, to understand these processes. So it helps you to, to understand these, these main drivers of biodiversity. Wonderful. So I think that's a good point for us to jump straight into talking about this special focus. So this special focus is made up of a series of research articles, perspective articles, but just as a sort of general broad overview, could you talk a little bit about the novelty and what it contributes to our understanding of the functional traits of animals. Yeah, I think, I mean, you you may look at this and think, why, why, why should I matter, right? Why, why this is, why is this new? Um, so trait-based research has been very influential in community ecology and and functional ecology over over the last um years. It's it's almost twenty years since um, Brian McGill published his seminal paper on rebuilding community ecology from trade. So it's something that, that is established and that has been successful. But there's one important sort of bias in this because most, most of these studies, most of the concepts, most of the data, they are restricted to plants only. And, and we all know that plants are really important. They kind of 
drive, they underpin many, many processes in ecosystems, but many ecosystem functions actually derive from interactions um, between higher trophic levels. Yeah, of course, an ecosystem only works and functions if, if there are animals around if, and if all the animal-driven processes are, are functional. And so, so in a way, this, this promise of trade-based ecology is to understand all these processes, but, but at the same time, most of our scientific understanding was, was limited to plants. And of course, there are studies are also using functional traits for animals, but, but this big picture is, is somehow missing. So yeah, so together and, and, and thought together with George Tobias and Dani Garcia, it was really the idea to look, can we use these trait-based approaches for many different types of taxonomic groups of animals? And, and can we then actually use this to, to gain such an ecosystem level um, understanding by using trait-based approaches. That's wonderful. And are there any sort of key takeaways or highlights that you can speak of? Interesting results? I mean, what's in terms of the actual focus of the special focus, I suppose I'm asking what, what should we learn from the special focus? What should a reader take away from looking at this series of 10 or 11 papers? Yeah, I think I think the first thing is that we kind of managed to really kind of um, gain interest in, in the community and 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 we had um, submissions covering many different animal taxa ranging from tiny organisms such as springtails to huge large organisms such as crocodiles so it's really we have dung beetle study in there we have a frog study in there mm -hmm. it's, it's really diverse in terms of taxa with different sizes animals from many different trophic levels so you have primary consumers, but you also have the apex predators, uh, crocodiles or birds kind of sitting on, on top of the of the food um, web. And it's also covering different different types of realms, terrestrial ecosystems, aquatic ecosystems. We have the soil organisms. So it's really this this huge diversity. That's maybe an easy, easy thing, but but this was kind of the, the first starting point we had. Can we really kind of get um, studies, can we draw studies in from covering many, many different um, types of animals? And I think this this is the the, the first and maybe the main success of this, right? And then mm -hmm. I can talk about more specific highlights in a second, if you like, but but that was our kind of main, yeah, first first achievement. It was the main, main aim we had. Amazing. So perhaps we've answered the question about how the special focus came to be, but maybe you want to talk a little bit about the germination of the idea. I know you've spoken about this sort of gap and how we had lots of stuff about plant traits, but perhaps not animal. Um, but where did the idea come from? You yourself, Danny and Joe are all functional ecology associate editors. Did you meet up at a conference? Where did where where did the how did you come together and decide this is what we want to do? Yeah, it's a Joe and I met met at a I think it was a BS conference some years ago and then realized that we are working on on similar stuff um related to to bird functional traits again. So we were measuring um in museum collection bird specimens to get a comprehensive um understanding of the functional traits of birds. And then we kind of teamed up together with many more researchers and and um, started um, the Avonet consortium, so we really focused on bird functional traits, and and then had also been working on on publishing bird um, functional trait studies in in another special feature. And then we thought, hey, there's much more than birds out there. <laughs> Although sometimes you you miss this as a bird watcher, but but can we actually make this much more general, right? So 
there's the plant functional trade world and there's a lot about bird functional traits but there's so much more out there and that's how it germinated in a way that we thought it would be really cool to kind of build up from what we have started and and to look more general at, at animal functional traits and then yeah Danny also teamed up because yeah we um, had been collaborating for for a long time on different projects on on plant bird interactions and yeah he's he's also a very nice person a very good friend and colleague and and he was also eager to join and that was great and then we we had a great great team to 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 get this started amazing so I think uh, before we go into some perhaps personal highlights from the special focus I think this is a good opportunity to talk about how to execute a really good special focus. So, you know, you've mentioned there that yourself and Joe and yourself and Danny, um, there's some crossover with the research you're doing. I mean, is it as simple as just sort of stopping and looking around and seeing what your colleagues are doing and going, oh, wow, there's a lot of crossover. There's something that they're doing, which is similar, but different to what I'm doing. We can really pull together and get our resources to create this amazing sort of output of research. So perhaps, What's the one key piece of advice you would give to someone who is interested in running a special focus in functional ecology? Yeah, maybe two points. One is that I think it's important to have sort of a momentum in in the topic you are looking at, right? And and for trades, it's kind of the point that more and more of these trade data are collected. They're also more and more accessible. So there's a lot of momentum in the community to use these approaches. So in a way you could argue that it was obvious to do something like this. So I think that, that the topic needs to be topical and, and, and relevant. And then the second point, I, I found it a very good approach that, that we sort of had a bottom up way to do this because we had an open call for contributions to this and we promoted this with with your help and uh, help of the BES via social media and then and then we kind of triggered the interest in the community to contribute to this right it was not that that we I mean we also contacted colleagues and things but we really had this as an open call and everyone could could um, contribute and 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 send a letter of interest to um, to 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 publish a paper as part of the special focus, and I felt this was very. I mean, it was very inclusive. It also helped to to attract this huge diversity of of topics and and taxa that are covered. And for me, it was also interesting to kind of go through this process then, right? Because we had more than eighty of these letters of interest, and then then we had to sit together and think. So, what are the best articles for the special focus? And 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 we didn't have too much information so so everyone who was filtered out at this stage probably it was not because of the science it's mostly that we wanted to really pull together a set of articles that that um represents this this huge diversity of topics and 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 then it went through the entire process which was sort of the standard peer review process um but i think what what we try to do is really to to also communicate with the authors a lot right and and mm -hmm. to think a bit what is what is the key points we want to um, we want to have in this special focus and and so that we kind of helped and, and gave a bit of advice to the authors also to, to to write a piece that fits into the special focus. That's wonderful. Right. So um, I want to just quickly talk about perhaps the selection process. Um, this is really interesting. Over 80 letters of interest is, is, is a lot to sift through um, for three people. So were there any in there or perhaps any that you didn't receive that you would have hoped to have received? You know, if you were running the special focus again, uh, let's say you started today. I know it's not been long since it published, but it was it was a couple of years in the making. So um, are there any 
any subjects or topics that you think, oh, that would have been really good to get that topic in there, I think, or that study organism in there. Perhaps for the future, we can talk about doing like an update. Where should it where should it go? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think we didn't have so much aquatic organisms. I, I think, I mean, there's there's a lot of history in using functional traits and in fish ecology, for instance. We we didn't have this covered so much. Maybe that's that that's that's a weak spot. Um, at some point, we realized that there was not so much about about the trophic interactions. We we had set some bullet points of topics we really like to cover. So that was also interesting. That that kind of most of these studies is still somehow, yeah, looking at at a single taxonomic group, but not so much at, at the interactions. Maybe maybe that's that's another point, and maybe another point, and that's also something we we be. I, I, I tend to think that's something that, that reflects the, the this um, state of research is that we had a lot about community responses. So kind of if you look at an environmental gradient or if you look at human impact, which traits are filtered out, how do ecological communities change? So which type of species survive are kind of present in the community and which not. But we didn't have so much about effects on, on ecosystem functions. Yeah, and then kind of one one key point of trait-based ecology is to really go this step also from from a species to the function of a species, and there was surprisingly little about actual ecosystem function. So there were a few studies that that measured, for instance, the pollination service of a certain species or a community by using traits, and and I think that's that's also something where we where we as a community probably can can improve and should improve and maybe it's interesting to have a special focus that that focuses then more on on, on part of this because we had our our scope was very broad right we mm -hmm. only needed to have the the functional traits in a way in there but yeah so there's definitely room for for having more more specific topics covered uh, under this under a similar umbrella thank you for that so i'd like Perhaps you can talk a little bit about some personal highlights from the special focus. So there's three of you as guest editors, but what were some highlights specific to you? Yeah, one aspect that 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 we found repeatedly across across different studies is that that we can really make use of traits to to understand how communities are assembled. So yeah, I mentioned this before. So if you look at, for instance, a temperature gradient, we can use traits to to identify species that that are more likely to occur under cool conditions or warm conditions for instance right and and then of course this works along different types of um, environmental gradients can be climatic gradients it can be um resource gradients so uh, gradients in the in the amount of energy that that is available to to animal species and in, in different at different sites and different communities so that's something I, I I found really interesting that it that it works for springtails, for for beetles, for ants, for the aquatic invertebrates. That you can use traits to to formulate general rules about community assembly, which which basically then means that we can better understand patterns of biodiversity at at large spatial scales. That's maybe still a bit general, but but they are very interesting studies. There's one study from. Um, dung beetles by Joseph Williamson and colleagues that, that also look at the physiological principles behind this. So they identify um, uh, upper critical temperatures as an important trait of dung beetles that define which, which beetle species can actually survive after deforestation. So we can really then also use this to go one step further and, and to get this mechanistic understanding of how communities change and why communities change. 
And Matthias, could you let us know if there's anything to do with the special focus that can, you know, some implications with regards to future biodiversity loss? Yeah, I think another important finding in the special focus as a whole is that that biodiversity loss is non-random. So that is that species with certain trait combinations are more likely to go extinct than others. So, so for instance, um, in the special focus, it is shown that that both crocodiles and birds um, are under under threat of extinction. So many species of these taxa. But it's not just a random selection of these species, but it's certain species with certain climatic tolerances, limited mobility, special behavioral features that are that are more more prone to go extinct. And so I think that's that's an all important implication because it also means that we can use functional traits to to better understand how biodiversity loss would play out in communities and and which species and which functional types of species would be the first to go extinct. Wonderful. So that's good. That's a good jumping off point now for us to move into the future. Um, so perhaps we can talk a little bit about, in your opinion, where the research should be directed towards next and what changes you hope this special focus will precipitate. Yeah, I think one important point is that that it's important to team up with others, right? And and I mean, you can do this by um, doing such a special focus, for instance, but you can also write uh, papers and teams. We have lots of papers written by by large teams of authors in the in the special focus as well. And I think what what really makes a difference is that that we are kind of that we are in this era now where where more and more of these trade data are collected and where they are available to the community. And I think the more trade data we have, we the better is our understanding about a community ecology and functional ecology. And I think it's it's really a game changer if if we can also use this and then then to analyze macroecological patterns, right? And then for this, you really need to to have these trade measurements for many, many different species, ideally for all species of a taxonomic groups in in a certain area. So I mentioned the birds before, right? with the with the Avernet data set, we we cover um all bird species globally, and there's a lot of response in using these trade data because you can then, address questions on much larger spatial scales than before. And I and and I think that's the example of kind of team up, right? If if someone works on a specific study system, collects trade data, put this together with your fellow researchers in another corner of the world to 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 build up huge, huge databases. So I think that's that's one point. That's more of a yeah, maybe that's the momentum I mentioned before. That's mm -hmm. something I think is is um, under development. And then the second point, I think, is to 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 think more across um, taxonomic boundaries. So, so as I said at the start, we we kind of have this biased insights um, from the plant functional trade world in a way, right? Which which helped to to create this field, which was very influential. But I think it's it's high time also conceptually to to move beyond this and to think about concepts that are more more general, that are more integrative. And, and there's also one very interesting study actually in the in the special focus um, that compares ecological strategies of plants and ants. It's written by by a team of authors. Hello, Skip is is the um, first author, and and they actually kind of compare these ecological strategies and find that similar ecological principles drive um, the ecology and evolution of of plants and ants. And and that's I, I think that's really cool, right? Because we can use such concepts then. To, to get a more integrative, comprehensive understanding of, of biodiversity. 
Wonderful. Right. So collaboration is the name of the game. Good to hear it. Um, so I'm going to ask quite a blunt question now um, as a lay person, which I am. Uh, I don't have a background in ecology, so I'd like to ask you, why should I care about the research that has been done here? What what how can it impact perhaps not my life, but my understanding of the world? Maybe if you go back to, to the very start, right, where I said I, I grew up with this interest in biodiversity, this this was still sort of a different world. And then some of the species I encountered there are now highly threatened. Maybe maybe some of these species in the tropics have already gone extinct. And this is because we are in the middle of this global biodiversity crisis. And that's um, very much driven by our human impacts. And I think one thing is that we really need to conserve this this diversity to to kind of trigger this interest of people and and to keep this 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 beautiful part of of our planet um, as much as possible but it also has direct and important consequences for us for us as humans right because because all this biodiversity actually drives um, the ecosystem functions and services we as 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 humans rely on in terms of water in terms of um, fertile soils and so on and i think these these traits and this was a long <laughs> loop to this but i think these these trade based approaches have have the potential to to actually provide this this link and this understanding so if if i have a species in an ecosystem i know there's a specific species present how can i know what it contributes to to an ecosystem function and an ecosystem service and and the idea of of trade based ecology is to provide this link so when we measure certain properties of species, then we can actually understand how important bee species or a hoverfly species is for the pollination of a plant species, of a crop species, for instance. Yeah, so I think kind of building up this theory of trade-based ecology can have an important implied impact because it helps us to understand what is what is the consequence and what is the consequence for us humans of, of losing many species on earth under, yeah, under the current crisis? Fantastic, well said, thank you. Um, so one last thing before we start sort of wrapping up, I'd like to ask is what you're looking to research next, perhaps what's what's on the agenda for you in the future? Yeah, we, I mean, we are, we are working on, on this integration of, of trade data sets and, and trade approaches across taxonomic groups. We, I mentioned the Kilimanjaro system, so we are also part of a, of a research, bigger research project there, where we also try to um, look at, at this as more of a social ecological system. So really try to, to understand also the, the demands of the people on the mountain for nature and, and try to understand the system, not only as an ecological system, but also as an interwoven system together with the people living on the mountain. Maybe that's also something that, 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 that is very important, right? That we, that we mm -hmm. kind of understand the social dimension of our, of our work and of the natural systems. Amazing. Thank you. So before we do some shout outs, I'd just like to ask um, whether you have any advice for young ecologists, perhaps advice for a young Matthias, who is an undergraduate student and perhaps needed needed to hear something or a piece of advice you would have liked to have heard when you were young and up and coming. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. So I think the first thing is that that it's important to be broadly interested and to learn about many different types of study systems, different types of approaches. I think it's good to read a lot and to 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 learn about ecology in a very diverse setting. So I think diversity matters and diversity is good also in this kind of career 
development career path. Um, and the second thing, I think, do then what you're most passionate about. I think if you're really into something, if you're really interested and really want to understand something, and and you really, yeah, like I said, if you're really passionate about this, then then I think that's that's key and that's that's the driver for for being excellent in science as well. Wonderful. And as we wrap up, perhaps uh, we can finish with some shout outs and thank yous to people who have helped along the way. Um, doesn't have to just be with this special focus, can be with your whole journey um, towards becoming an ecologist. But is there any anyone you'd like to particularly give thanks to? Oh yeah, there, there are many people. And I said, it's I see this very much as a as a team thing to do good research. So there, so everyone who helped and 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 kind of um, contributing to these team efforts and these um, collaborative projects I'd like to thank too. But but for the special focus in particular, I think it's it's the authors that that contributed their studies to this. I think that's that's the key, right? That's all the all the aspects, all the cool science we are we are talking about. So foremost thanks thanks to all the authors for the excellent contributions and and then we did this um as a team so that's that's the the word i'm using most i think in this podcast now but it was um, a great pleasure to work on this together with Joe Tobias and Dani Garcia and and yeah i think we all three have been very happy with the with the result and the process and then of course we had a lot of help from the BES from the functional ecology team in particular so Lara Ferry and Enrico Resende they really helped to to support this from the start and then help to to steer this from from the lead editor side and yeah, also thanks so much to to Ravina and and to you to to helping out with with all the organizational things and and yeah getting 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 it done in such an efficient way thanks so much wonderful so i'd just like to remind our listeners um that links to the special focus um the editorial you know a whole array of papers we've also got a blog post that has has some really really beautiful images that are taken from each article so i do uh, recommend taking a look at that because it is very lovely um so i'd just like to say thank you to matthias uh, i hope everyone has found it as exciting and interesting to learn about this um as i have and yeah just thank you and best of luck with your future endeavors matthias Thanks. Thanks for your time and thanks for listening.